0: important powerful countries which got their independence did it with military action. They did not wait for the colonizer to give them independence. They grabbed it and declared it. In the United States, for example, the declaration of independence is celebrated as Independence Day not when the British decided to leave. The Declaration of Independence said we are now free as of this date. Of course, it started a big war with the British and it took a long time to get rid of the British. But the story doesn't begin there. A hundred years before the 1600s, beginning of the British experience in America and in India, It was Portuguese who started the colonization of India in Goa and other places. They did not achieve such a large scale, but they are the first Europeans who came there. And about the, so in the 1500s, the Portuguese landed in India and and started their process, early 1500s, a century before the British did. And also, about a century or so before the early 1600s settlements Of British people in America, you have Columbus. So, a hundred years before the British, you have the Portuguese and the Spaniards doing their thing. They were the naval powers at the time, before Northern Europeans became the naval powers. And the, the Portuguese went looking for India one way around Africa, and Columbus went looking the other way across the atlantic the question the the story should not even start there even sooner it has to start because the question has to be why were the portuguese so keen and the spaniards so keen as sort of naval powers why were they so keen to find a way to india i mean certainly columbus was not Going to India to bring human rights. I mean, that's what I tell the Americans. You know that okay. You know why? Why you're going to India and you're doing all these great things, bringing human rights and whatnot. But do you realize the very uh, founding of this country started with somebody else, Columbus, because he wanted to go to India, but he was not bringing human rights. He wanted all the wealth. He wanted the trade routes. So why were these guys doing it? So the story goes even before that. They were doing it because the Ottomans. Blockaded the trade routes between Asia and Europe. And the Indian goods were so sought after, such a huge amount of trade, that India was a manufacturing economy, India was an export economy, steel, textiles, medicines. When you look at the trade records of Vasco da Gama and the other Portuguese that came afterwards, they call it spice. But it's medicines, it's plant medicines. I mean, it's not, you know, some uh, turmeric that would build build a huge Portuguese empire. Come on. So, what was classified that way were actually medicines, plant medicines. And a whole lot of textiles and steel were part of this trade. So, India was a very wealthy country. If you really want a proper history, world history of the last 500 years, 600 years and if you really want to understand the rise of Europe, You know, the rise of Europe story has to start with a very wealthy India that is supplying enormous amounts of things. And Europe has nothing to supply in return that the Indians want. So, the Indians demand gold. So, the Indians end up accumulating one of the largest gold reserves in the world from export. And gold then becomes the reserve currency. That's how gold, the gold standard, in economics, starts because India was exporting and wanted gold payments. So when you understand all that, and then you understand that the Ottomans blockaded, the, that's sort of like a OPEC cartel embargo. So the OPEC guys have a historical precedence; they know that their predecessors also blockaded long ago. So when the Ottomans blockaded, crisis in Europe. They need sea routes. Queen of Spain is a venture capitalist so she funds all these tour trips to go and look for sea routes and so on by Columbus etc. So, the the history of Europe, the rise of Britain, the the origins of America which becomes United States later, the so-called discovery of America. And I always say, well, if if Columbus discovered America in 1492, does it mean that the natives who lived there for 20,000 years never discovered it? I mean, that's a kind of a racist implication that it was discovered when the white man discovered it. And there is a doctrine of Christian discovery. The Pope, when these so-called discoveries were taking place, issued a papal bull, one of those edicts which said that this was called the doctrine of Christian discovery. Which said that when Christians discover it, in the name of the Lord and Church and whatnot, uh, that constitutes discovery. Until then, it has not been discovered, and I think this mentality continues when they say that plant medicines from tropical countries don't comprise uh, don't comprise intellectual property until somebody like Johnson and Johnson or Bristol Myers has filed the patent because they know they know the legal procedure how to do that. So, this business of what constitutes discovery, what constitutes intellectual property also has a racist origin. Now, the story of colonialism is, a, is an amazing story that has never been properly written. And this grand narrative project is, is a very important part of nation building. So, what the left and the post-colonialists uh, and the subalternists who then became post-modernists did not understand is that Indians have a natural need like anyone else to have their own grand narrative. So, they pass on a positive story about who we are and they they got sick and tired. Indians got sick and tired of being told we are a bad people, we have nothing but violence and we are uncivilized and we need westerners to come and civilize us. And this is, it is this wave that brought Modi to power. It is not that some top-down thing happened. It's a popular movement and I spend a lot of my time visiting India every year. For, for At least four visits a year, ever since I came to the U.S. I have not skipped a single year. So, I know the pulse in different places in India. And I can tell you that this is coming. This is happening because people were just very concerned that the ruling elite in India had sold out, dismantled their grand narrative, sold out to the West Become a a new kind of anti-narrative elite. A a new kind of very anti-narrative elite. And I find when I am debating such people, they are intellectually mediocre. I find that they are just not very intelligent. You try to hold, give them a logical argument and they fall apart. Then they start accusing you and then it's all about personalities and this fellow accused this and that. It's all about ad hominems. It is not a fight between left and right. It is not. Because a whole lot of dharma is very, what you would call liberal, liberal thinking. Liberal thinking, leftist thinking and rightist thinking. It's not one or the other. You cannot really contain it in either the left or the right. The Hindu dharma is got things from all over the spectrum. It's more a fight between people who are imaginative, intelligent, original thinking, critical thinking skills versus people who are mediocre. It's simply a question of smarts versus dumb people. And it is natural for dumb people to gravitate towards, you know, we all stay together and we have slogans. And boy, if some guy is coming, he's threatening us, he's threatening our parampara, our union, our ideological union, and so you know, we're going to attack him. And I know all the one-liners how to attack this guy. It's this is what the so-called post-colonial studies, and this is what a lot of these South Asian studies has turned out to be. The Indians. Have a huge philology of their own. We have a huge philology system. That's not what's being used. Our terms of reference are not what's being used in in the work being done about our culture. And our people are not getting this draft ability to criticize it, scrutinize it and talk back and say, this is wrong, that's wrong, this this is not. So, in fact, that's a violation of rules of ethics. And when I pointed this out to some famous scholars in the west doing this, i was told by latin scholars greek scholars scholars of the you know uh, you know various juda christian old traditions that such sloppy work would never be tolerated against their culture i talked to a chinese and he said Nobody would dare take so much liberty with Mandarin texts and get away with it. They would probably be totally banned to come from the China and no American university would dare give them a PhD without a real solid traditional, traditional Mandarin scholar looking through it and having the final word. But it's in India that they can get away with it and that's because we are still colonized. That is colonialism. We have a Patshala system in India to certify scholars. We don't have a western style, you go to a certain place and you work for a Ph.D. and you go do this process, that process and then these people certify you. We don't. And it's not peer-reviewed, western peer-reviewed journals that will determine your career for in an Indian system. So, what it means is that if you are following the Indian system, no matter how learned you are, no matter how much your community thinks of you, uh, you as far as the western system is concerned, you are not qualified. So if a Swami Ramdev came and wanted to be the exemplar to teach yoga, he would be asked, Where's your PhD? Where are your published articles? If a late Swami Dhyanand Saraswati, who passed away sometime, exemplar in Vedanta, he didn't have any such degree. I mean, nor did Ramana Maharshi, I mean, nor did Vivekananda, I mean, nor did Gandhi for that matter. So the people who are the keepers of our grand narrative are simply unqualified by the Western tradition. So that you can throw them out, you can you can give them an evening talk for uh, it's like nice po- or optics. It's good optics, you can give them an evening talk and kind of uh, domesticate them with nice courtesy and you know manners and all of that stuff. And hope they go away and it just everything stays the same. But if, they, if somebody like that who has knowledge tries to penetrate, tries to really dig deep into what you're doing, then all hell will break loose. And believe me, I know that. My question was, according to you, the history which is taught in India, why is it not able to move away from the Gandhi-Nehru narrative to more Bhagat Singh and Subhash Chandra Bose narrative? Because due to them, I believe we attain independence. And my additional question to you after your presentation was... Uh, I must ask this... Uh, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah. So when you talk about... Uh, soft power uh, reparations, do you then suggest that the British actually are taught about the atrocities they committed when they colonized India? Isn't the British then running a risk of kind of ensuring that their generations are apologists and who are not proud of what they did? Okay, so I'll answer the second one. I think it's a sign of maturity to come to terms with one's own history. In Germany they teach the holocaust and they teach it. Uh, they say that this is part of history. We should come to terms with it and we will never let it happen again. In United States, they teach slavery, the history of slavery in schools. Blacks demand it. So why is it that Indians cannot demand that British school students should be taught about the truths of colonialism? It will make them mature, make them better citizens. And, they, and Britain should hold its head high and say, we, we, whatever happened, happened. And now we should move on. So this soft power is not about money. It's about these issues, coming to terms with this. It's more about that. I think it's far more impactful and easier and more rational to expect them to agree. And we were pleasantly surprised that that, uh, they were favorable. They liked it. and And we are actually going to develop some collaboration and have conferences on topic, topic, topic like that. Your first question on, you know, why haven't we changed our history? You know, the strange thing is we used to think it's all the Nehru dynasty But now for three years we can't blame the Nehru dynasty. Nothing has happened. The UPSC exam where civil servants are selected is full of this kind of nonsensical questions and they are supposed to read all kinds of, you know, weird old European Western social theories about India and anthropology, all that kind of stuff. And why the new government hasn't done it, I don't know, but it's a problem. And and uh, my job is to raise raise the voice to that effect that it is we cannot say a change in government would automatically solve these problems because it hasn't so our job is to keep mentioning this and keep putting pressure pressure is building up the pressure is at the grassroots the same uh, grassroots you know tsunami that brought, brand Modi into power, also now demands these kind of changes. That's good news.